Hey Kansas City, welcome to episode 8 of the Made in Casey podcast. We are now in day 8 of the 30-day shelter-in-place order. I'm Tyler Enders. I'm Keith Bradley. And I'm Thomas McIntyre. Today, we're going to ask some questions about how commercial landlords are going to handle the upcoming April 1st rent deadline and what we're noticing here in Kansas City. We have a dozen leases with different landlords here in KC, so we're going to discuss our firsthand experience thus far. Well, good afternoon, guys. Welcome. Question of the day. Are you watching anything right now? And if so, what is it? So no ongoing shows at the moment. I'm going to start season three of Ozark soon, but Jess is not a fan of that show. So I have to find an impossible time where I have alone time and watch by myself. So that may not happen soon. I didn't know there was a season three. That's exciting. And I can see why the wife or a significant other of a small business owner would not want to watch Ozark. <laughs> yeah, she uh, on all sorts of levels finds it way too dark and maybe too close to home for stress reasons. But I think maybe there's a uh, relief for me watching someone go through much, much higher stakes stress than I will ever encounter from that standpoint. But for me, one of the interesting changes to my schedule is that I've been showering in the evenings versus morning recently. Everyone and, uh, everyone had been wondering that. Yeah, no, it's very interesting. So I came out from that shower and Jess had started uh, Remember the Titans in our living room. I sat down and just got sucked in hard. And it uh, was a really feel-good movie. Love that movie. If anyone hasn't watched it in a while, I'd recommend it. It's a fun one. And a lot of positive vibes came from it. Keith, do you, have your kids been introduced to Remember the Titans? No, not yet. Ooh, not yet. That's exciting. But it's uh, it's uh, definitely on the list, and it's kind of a nice segue into what Kate and I have been watching around the Bradley household. So we started uh, about a week ago watching the show All American. The best way I can describe it, it's kind of like a mix between Friday Night Lights and The O.C., both shows of which I also really like. So we've been enjoying that show quite a bit. It is a little... A little cheesy, a little corny, very uh, much not realistic at times, but it does a good job of getting you sucked into the world of Beverly Hills and South Crenshaw and helps you forget your world for just a little bit. Well, for about 40 minutes every night. Nice. <laughs> I hadn't heard of that. I'm on the train. I'm watching Tiger King. I'm maybe three or four episodes <laughs> in. Uh, like the rest of America, it is fascinating. Sucks you in for sure. Very entertaining. And there's a really good chart out there that shows you a graph of people's thought processes throughout it. And basically, your mind is continually blown the entire time you watch this thing because it just gets weirder and weirder. I am excited to dig into that. I don't even know what it's about yet. And so I'm, I'm going to come in completely unaware. The fun thing about Ozark is it's a good show in and of itself. But it's fun to hear the reference of Kansas City. The most recent episode, for example, uh, one of the locals got really mad at somebody. And she's like, go back to Overland Park or something <laughs> along those lines. And it was just really funny to hear some of those references. So well, excited to get back into that. You guys are certainly in for a treat whenever you watch Tiger King. It's number one trending show on Netflix right now. And it's something that you just can't script. It's one of those things where reality is crazier than any fiction anyone could come up with. But today, when I asked you guys what you wanted to talk about, Thomas, you said that you wanted to make sure we expressed the seriousness of the pandemic. Um, you had expressed fear about people not realizing how long of a road we have in front of us. Do you want to go ahead and elaborate on that? Yeah, I think I overheard a glimpse or a piece of the news that Jess was watching this morning uh, while I was making breakfast for Tucker. 
And it was already in the back of my mind that this is a uh, marathon, not a sprint. But some of the numbers they shared just really reinforce it for me. And it's not a good feeling. I mean, it's to be honest, it sucks. You keep thinking that we are going to come out of this soon. You know, the weather's nice here in Kansas City and it's warm and it, it all feels like we're doing the right stuff and it's very positive. And you're just quickly reminded that it is nowhere close to being over, unfortunately. And so both from a frustration with your personal life standpoint and just sadness and realness of the number of people that are going to get sick and then die as a result of what's happening. So I think the thing that I heard this morning that was the most real to me and realizing there's a lot more to come is that I think the state of Virginia announced that they are going to extend their stay at home or shelter at home order until June 10th at this point. And that's the latest date I heard. And I mean, it's, you know, we'll be in April tomorrow, but that's a really long time when you look at it. We're about two weeks, not, I mean, whatever day this is for us. And we're already kind of feeling some exhaustion from it. Yeah. We're Uh, we're only in day eight. And when everyone started first rolling these out, they talked about 15 day orders. Kansas city was kind of on the front of the curve for a Midwestern mid-sized city with a 30 day shelter in place order. And that is really, really shocking to hear something as far out as June 10th, because now we're looking at uh, well over 60 days. Yeah, it makes me wonder if it's better uh, for everybody to have a date that keeps getting extended or for a state to come out like Virginia did and say, hey, this is going to be June 10th. Like we want to set that understanding now, get your minds ready for that, get your homes ready for that. Or if it's better for the mental processing to have April 30th in our mind, and then knowing it might get pushed back further. But I think it'll be interesting to see how it's handled on a state by state. I haven't really spent a lot of time contemplating the duration, and we'll have to wait to see what other cities and states decide. But have you guys thought much about the idea that we have 20 more days of this? Every single day. (laughs) See, I've been taking it so much one day at a time that I haven't really thought on the conceptual level about, okay, the likelihood that this gets extended is pretty high, or the likelihood that new normal after the 30th is also pretty high. So if we end up getting a lot of testing in Kansas City, and we're able to decide that, okay, this young person who's low risk, who already had coronavirus, is now part of the herd and has herd immunity, can go back to work, I think the new normal is going to be different. But I haven't been able to conceptualize how long this is, because I've been so focused on just figuring out my current day and the next day. I, and I've mentioned this in previous episodes, I'm just always looking for comparables just to kind of realign my mindset sometimes. And there's really, it's just so challenging to find. So I used to do public accounting and even that long busy season is broken up by different deadlines and dates. And so you kind of set your mind, I'm going to adjust my life and work nonstop until March 15th and then take a small break and then do this again. But outside of that, I mean, it's tough for us to mentally go through making these adjustments for this extended period of time. I think we're able to conceptualize seven days or even two weeks of staying at home and not interacting. I I think it's really challenging to conceptualize longer than that. And that's why I just think it's so important for people to understand it and know that it's not close to being over. And hopefully, you know, mentally prepare because that's going to be your best bet for staying mentally healthy through this. Yeah, not to scare people, but if you haven't found a good routine or if you've been waiting, now would be a great time to kind of establish that routine of this new lifestyle because we don't know how long it will last and make sure that you are finding time for physical activity of some sort, getting outside of your house in some sort, and then engaging with other people outside of the people within the four walls of your home. 
Yeah, I think it's important to talk about and remind people that even though there are, say, more frightening or higher numbers coming out of different parts of our country, say um, New York, for example, or even California, that while the numbers here remain relatively low compared to those um, other places, that they are still significant and are are growing at a you know at a rate that is concerning. That if we don't continue to do what we're doing in terms of social distancing, in terms of staying at home and, and locking things down. There's no reason to expect that we wouldn't have similar rates to other parts of the country. So I think as we stand today, right now, in the state of Kansas, about 375 cases with eight deaths total. In Missouri, we're about over 1,100 cases and 14 deaths. With the Kansas numbers, about one-third of those, or 100, are just in Johnson County alone. And so on the Missouri side, about over half are in the St. Louis, you know, half of the state. But then the other good chunk of that is here in our metro area. And so while those numbers are small compared to other parts of the country, um, we need to keep doing our part so that they don't, don't increase the way that some people are predicting and fear. I know that in New York, they're talking about peaking around mid-April in terms of the number of fatalities you know, really skyrocketing in mid-April and the capacity of hospitals being reached at that point. Have you guys heard about when we're expecting the peak to be in Kansas City? The only thing I've heard is that the expectation for us to be about with seven to 10 days behind New York. I don't know if that's something that you guys have heard as well. So if that's the case, that would put us kind of towards the end of our citywide shelter in place when we're peaking, which, you know, could very well mean that we give grounds to extend that. So even on the national scale, as many have already heard with President Trump's briefing most recently, extending the national social distancing essentially to April 30th at this point. And the reason why that happened, and correct me if I'm wrong, guys, but the reason why that happened is that based on new models that were presented to the president, to his team, the numbers are significantly more dramatic and frightening than, than maybe what was first predictor thought. And so some of those models say up to 100,000 American fatalities infecting millions more. Dr. Deborah Birx was saying 200,000 deaths. That's if we do things perfectly from here on out. And that's everything from shelter in place, to getting the right equipment to the hospitals and people need most to not overwhelming the hospital system. So even if we do things perfectly, we're still looking at a significant number of fatalities across our country. Yeah, I was reading a little bit into the modeling. It's fascinating to look at. And of course, the modeling is only as good as the assumptions being made and the data being provided. I think that the White House used some sort of modeling soup of 12 different models, and I don't know how much they weighted certain things over others. But I did see, yeah, that the, the range, the projections on the low side, you know, deaths could be less than that 100,000 number. But on the high side, if we were to do nothing, it'd be above 2 million. And, and that's a crazy number. And it's scary, but also encouraging to know that our decisions as a society can have a 10x impact. And so if we can have 100,000 deaths, as uh, President Trump had said, or if we can hit the 200,000 number that Dr. Deborah Burks said, if that's a factor of 10 less than the 2 million of doing nothing, then it is really encouraging to know that we are having an impact with our social distancing practices. I think that's part of the marathon versus sprint thought process too, is that it's important to understand that the results of the steps that we're taking and the social distancing and things being closed, yeah, the numbers keep getting worse and worse can seem very frustrating. And it's like, why are we even doing this if it's not helping? But it's a very, very lagging indicator of the results of our steps we're taking. And it's important to look at the stats and not think that 
this isn't worth it or we shouldn't be doing these things because it doesn't seem to be helping anyway. Uh, but instead, it's going to prevail and reduce the impact of the coronavirus. I think that this pandemic is going to feel a lot more real to people in the coming weeks as more and more health professionals are put on camera for local news, for national news. And as people are pleading about not having enough hospital beds, about not having the resources that they need. And what's frustrating is that at that point, it'll be too late. And so what we have to do is we have to act now with this somewhat non-tangible, invisible concern, because right now we're able to treat people really well when they come into a hospital. We have well-rested physicians and practitioners who are trained to do this. But when we get to the point where hospitals are overrun and where you have cardiologists or other physicians who aren't trained to be pulmonary physicians working on respiratory illnesses, all of a sudden we're going to have a, a much different situation and the level of care that people receive is going to be not that of the standard that we expect in the United States. And I think that that's why there's such a drastic difference in the potential outcome of this and why flattening the curve is so essential right now, even when it feels as though, you know, when Keith reads a, that number of a thousand cases in Missouri, that doesn't sound as scary as what we know it could be. And so we just have to somehow remind ourselves in a way that keeps ourselves sane that what we're doing is important and we have to keep on doing it. I couldn't agree with you more. I mean, that's the, yeah, that's why we made the decisions we made early on as a business. And that's why I think we've all been pretty active in terms of our friends and families, uh, encouraging them to, to stay home. And, and even while we're doing this podcast, giving folks another way to cope with what is going on. And so as small as it may be, I feel like this, even this podcast can help flatten the curve as it will, as we are working, uh, you know, just working creatively as we can to uh, do our part and keep people indoors, keep people focused, keep people entertained to a certain extent. And then, of course, as we have talked about with our Sandlot Goods mass project for when people do go out and for when, when hospitals are in greatest need of those supplies, we're able to play a small, a small role in that as well. I also think it's interesting how there's been, for me, a uh, feeling of like I'm taking it very seriously and washing hands and telling people I don't want to interact with them. And there's a little bit of this like smirk sometimes from people or a little bit like, oh, really type of process. And there's a peer pressure there and it is becoming less and less as time goes on. But I'm still encountering it some. I'm not going to name anybody or anything like that. But it's tough to not be uh, persuaded by those things or question what you think is actually happening in those times. And so I guess it's just a good reminder to believe that it's real what we're encountering, despite uh, anyone you encounter that wants to suggest otherwise or ignore otherwise or make you feel silly for the steps you're taking. I found that too. And I've been surprised that there isn't a commonality between the people who seem to take it seriously and those who don't take it seriously. I've seen that it spans all ages. I think the only people that are consistently really sticking to these precautions are those who work in healthcare. But otherwise, I've been very surprised by neighbors, friends, etc. that there's a wide range and there's really no delineation between those who are following these guidelines carefully and those who aren't. And I think that accentuates the importance of government's role in having a really, really firm stance. And so again, hats off to our local government for doing that. And I trust that they'll make the right decision whether or not it needs to be extended based upon what we think the, the peak problematic time will be in Kansas City. Okay, well, I'm going to go through one other slightly scary stat that I had read, and then we'll switch over to our piece on landlords. In New York, 
Andrew Cuomo had been requesting. I think that he said he needs um, a capacity for 140,000 hospital beds, and I think the shortfall is around 50,000. And so there's been this really encouraging news about the USNS Comfort, which was a naval hospital that was brought from out of commission back into commission, and that adds 1,000 beds. Then there's a new hospital being built in Central Park, which adds 1,000 beds. There's one in Javits Center, another 1,000 beds. And I think they've reached four or five of these emergency medical facilities, but that's only added four or 5,000 beds. And when you're talking about a shortfall of 50,000, the idea of 45,000 beds needed in New York when you hit the apex and not having those because people are in ventilators for one week to two weeks, up to 21 days, that is the really scary proposition. And again, what we're trying to do is make sure that our medical professionals can continue to provide exemplary care, which is only possible if we flatten the curve. Okay, do you guys have anything else you want to touch on that before I jump into our main topic for the day of commercial landlords? No, that's uh, enough dark statistics uh, <laughs> for today. Yeah, but it, I, I just want yeah, the importance of knowing where we are with this and where it potentially is going, I think is an important part of what we're trying to accomplish with this podcast. And so I wanted to have, despite it not being fun, a day where we discuss some of those things. Great. No, I th- I'm glad that you brought it up and I'm glad that we touched on it again. Uh, okay. So Made in KC and some of our sister companies combined have 12 locations with different landlords throughout Kansas City. And only one thus far has proactively reached out to us. Um, a few have been willing to work with us when we've reached out to them, but the vast majority are saying, you know, rents due when rents due. Thomas mentioned yesterday that, or a couple days ago, that he was able to get his mortgage delayed for three months. And so those payments are just tacked on to the end. It's a temporary pause. And I wanted to discuss a little bit about why commercial leases are being treated differently than residential leases and how we think it's going to affect the market, both the commercial market in general, then with retail, with restaurants, bars, et cetera. So I do want to make, I did, after recording that podcast, get uh, the letter associated with our mortgage. And just to be fully corrected on it, it's not adding to the end. It's going to take the amount during the forbearance period and allocate it over the rest of the months on our mortgage. And so it'll still have the same termination date, um, but my payments will increase slightly. But again, with a mortgage, with there being so many payments, that amount won't be too material in those next few payments. So I was not correct about how it's going to be dealt with. I mean, that just seems like such a sensible solution during a time where people's income has changed, being able to pause something like that. You think about how big a residential mortgage is and pausing for three months, spreading it out over the life. You'd like to think that the financial backers, the banks and other investors who hold that mortgage are worried about the big picture. And the big picture is let's not put this person into default. Let's allow them the break that is necessary to make this mortgage just as valuable as it was before the coronavirus pandemic. And we're not seeing anything close to that type of mentality with commercial properties. No. And I've, we talked about it a little bit, and I'm trying to assess what, you know, again, we won't name anything specific, but one one landlord did reach out directly and was, hey, business as usual, if you're unable to pay, maybe look into your interruption and insurance, uh, which was a fairly ignorant thought 
of, of them to put in a letter to us because I was pretty well established that it wasn't going to be a remedy for anybody during something like this. And so part of me thinks they do that because they get it. But if they don't put some fear out there and if they're not firm with their ask, it's going to be much more challenging to get anything from anybody. And they're trying to see what they can get up front and then we'll deal with the rest afterwards. But the difference between the commercial and the individual side of things, I think also kind of falls on those same lines in that they know a lot of the people paying commercial rent are incorporated businesses and there is a a form of protection with that corporation, whether it's an LLC or whatever. And people will kind of hide behind that protection and they'll have a harder time collecting rent where individuals in their homes are much less likely to roll the dice and see what happens if they don't pay or go into foreclosure uh, because they're talking about the roof over their heads. And so I think there's a different level of attention being paid by the end users in those relationships that's causing the different reaction from the different parties. Complete speculation and interpretation of, on my part, but that's that's what I'm thinking. I mean, in terms of the psychology of it, we talked to a property manager who said that they'd received, you know, countless phone calls over the past couple of weeks. And half of the phone calls were, hey, I can't pay rent right now. And the other half of the phone calls were, hey, you know what, I think I'm done and I'm closing up shop. And I think this provides the potential for a lot of businesses to decide that this is a good time to go ahead and close up shop, to shift what they're doing, realign what their priorities are, and that might result in a lot of closures. Psychologically, I think that if you are a landlord and you send someone a default notice, that's going to change their perspective on whether they want to continue operating. If instead as a landlord, you reach out to someone and say, hey, I'm going to give you a three-month reprieve and we're going to repackage these three months and spread it out over the life of your seven-year, 10-year lease, I think that the psychology for that small business owner is vastly different. And they say, great, okay, I have a break here. I can focus on my employees. I can focus on opening up again. And again, we have a dozen different local landlords, and very, very few of them have expressed any sort of interest in um, creating some sort of solution like that. Yeah, I think similarly, the way a, well, I guess a little bit of difference here, but a way you wouldn't want a neighborhood with a bunch of vacant houses, you know, a mortgage company doesn't want to have a bunch of mortgages default. The same is true for, you know, a landlord who owns a commercial property. They wouldn't want to have a bunch of vacancies need to fill three, six months from now. Uh, I think what's kind of interesting in this regard and the point that you made, Tyler, is that we've already seen in our five years of, of doing business that it's not uncommon for there um, to be a lot of vacancies in any one shopping center around Kansas City and landlords are being aggressive to try to fill and lease spaces. If a solution like what you propose is not uh, doesn't doesn't come about soon, that problem is just going to be exasperated you know, in ways that I don't think people have, uh, have seen before in the last 10 years. Yeah, I do think I talked to Tyler about this pretty early on. I do think there a, a time of high stress like this will often take a company that was already on a path of potentially failing or closing will just accelerate that both from a actual financial standpoint, but additionally from the owners now having a scapegoat potentially or the pride of saying why they failed becomes removed uh, because they have something to point to of what took them under. And so I think that we will see a lot of closures and non-reopenings, and it's going to be tough to distinguish why that happened. Yeah. Do you think that same mentality, though, could be applied to our various landlords and property owners who are also businesses themselves? Like if they were trending in one direction, this is their opportunity to throw in the towel, so to speak? Or are they in a kind of a too big to fail type situation 
Well, we have a pretty wide range from people who own a single building as landlords to uh, multinational companies that own thousands of locations. And so I, I think it ranges quite a bit, but I don't see a lot of them offloading assets at this point because the market's going to be so crushed. And so I don't think that a lot of them will be able to justify selling at this point. And I think that you want there to be some retail companies that decide that they need to close up and then new ones open. And that's like a natural evolution and progression. But what's happening with this pandemic is that we're going to see a mass amount of closures, and that's not going to be healthy for the evolution. We're going to take a huge step backwards. And I think that landlords do have not only the ability, but an obligation to step in and do something. Again, if you're trying to if you're trying to collect on a five, seven, ten year lease, I see no reason why you wouldn't go ahead and step in and say to a restaurant whom you know has closed, who does not have any income, and who's trying to take care of their employees before they take care of their landlord, we're going to help you through this three month process as long as you're willing to increase your rent on the back end. I think that that's a very tenable solution for both parties, and I'm surprised that we haven't seen it yet. Yeah. And to make sure we don't sound uh, ignorant about it, I, I think that there are some companies that are like, well, we have expenses monthly and things happening monthly as well. And our source of income is rent. How do we go without that for three months? Um, but I agree with you, Tyler. I think it is on them to go figure out how to get through for those three months because it's going to keep going up or down the line. Everyone will look at it. And so it's it's taking the steps if you do own property and there's monthly payments happening on it go talk to the banks. I mean, the banks need to be the ones that are going to be stepping up and, and they have from what I've seen so far to then allow the stress relief there to be passed down the line. And I think the most important part of that is it getting passed down the line as we're talking about. And so if you're able to get some form of relief, that relief needs to be passed down and down and down. And so we all essentially are taking a pause for a little bit. If we are selfish with it and don't pass that along is when we're going to start seeing a lot of, a lot of issues. Yeah, I think the buck stops at the banks and at the creditors. And I think that most of those organizations do have the ability to see this and recognize it and make those adjustments. Now, in the mortgage environment, uh, over 50% of mortgages in the U.S. are backed by the government through Fannie Mae, Freddie Mac, through the Federal Housing Authority. And I think there's greater flexibility and greater awareness there to go ahead and make these adjustments. Whereas in the commercial world, you don't have that same government involvement. And so perhaps that plays a role in that you don't have the leadership of government stepping in and being able to say something, or you don't have the, the knowledge that government could step in in that way. But I do think that most of these really, really large institutional banks could go ahead and make proactive steps. So to potentially close up on this thought, and you guys add whatever you think, but from a recommendation standpoint... If your landlords aren't proactively reaching out to you, it's good to proactively reach out to them. And so if you can do something and get by a few months, then you should. If you can't, then have that conversation with your landlord and talk about different options. Uh, I don't think it's fair to assume that you won't have to pay that rent at all. I think it's more likely to plan to set up a payment plan for whatever isn't paid now gets paid later on type of situation, um, to hopefully without any interest. But I think it's so so relationship-based on, hey, here's what I'm able to do at this time. Can you reflect that and do it the same thing as me at this time? Uh, but it's it's going to take a lot of conversations, and I think it's time to have those now versus later. Yeah, I've kind of talked about this in the vacuum as if the stimulus package doesn't exist. And the stimulus package devotes hundreds of billions of dollars for small businesses in forgivable loans to pay rent, among other things. And 
so with landlords knowing that this package is coming, I think that you have that conversation where you say, okay, let's take a, a quick pause or a moratorium on these next few months, but let's get caught up by the end of the year. Because if you qualify for this stimulus package, if you have less than 500 employees, if this money is going towards rent, then that loan will be forgiven. I think that landlords could have that conversation as well. And so it's not that they're foregoing this for a long period of right. time. It's not they have to spread it over the life of their lease. And it's not as if the ability to pay in the future won't be there. It's just creating a system where you don't have the psychology of, hey, here's your demand letter or here's your default letter or you know you have to go ahead and vacate. We don't want to see that. That's going to really disrupt retail way more than anything else. And so hopefully maybe it's that landlords are just waiting and they know that some people aren't going to be able to pay if you're a restaurant, for example, and that they'll just try to collect three months from now. Great. Yeah. So to wrap things up, if there are um, other listeners out there who are currently going through this experience with their business and their landlord, don't hesitate to reach out to us. Hello at madeinkc.co. We definitely would love to hear from you. We'd love to hear what questions you might have about this topic or what solutions you are working forward as well. Additionally, we'll be diving into the stimulus package as more information becomes available. We've had our ears to the ground and are getting ready to apply for all things that we can apply for, and we'll keep you all posted as time goes on. Great. Well, thank you, Keith, and thank you, Thomas, and we will be back here tomorrow. Go watch. Remember the Titans. (laughs) 